Welcome back to season two of the Product Marketing Experts. Today, I have with me Axel Kerstetter, VP of Product Marketing and Pricing at Datasite. Axel is the expert on pricing as a product marketer. And today we have an in-depth discussion about how product marketers should be involved in pricing how Axel came to own it, the trend and the specialization of pricing within product marketing. If pricing is something that interests you or you're thinking about adding to your product marketing team, this is one episode you will definitely want to listen to. Shout out to our sponsor, Clue. Clue is the leading competitive enablement platform for product marketers that want to drive revenue for their business. It helps product marketers to easily collect, curate, and distribute insights that enable your revenue teams to beat their competition. All right. Welcome everyone back to the Product Marketing Experts podcast. I am so excited to have you. Today I have with me Axel from Datasite. Axel is the VP of Product Marketing and Pricing. That's a pretty interesting last part there, pricing at Datasite. So welcome Axel. I'm so excited to have you. If you wouldn't mind just telling us a little bit more about yourself and a little bit more about Datasite and your role there, that'd be awesome. Hi, Jeffrey. Thank you, first of all, for uh, having me. I appreciate the uh, opportunity to talk about product marketing and my employer, Datasite. And so Datasite, to address your question, is a software provider for the M&A lifecycle. So what that means is companies use us to transact in the M&A space, buy companies, sell companies, they exchange information securely. The personas that we serve would be investment bankers, lawyers, corporate development professionals, private equity professionals. Company is uh, privately owned, double-digit growth rates, double-digit EBITDA rates, and uh, sort of one of these small jewels in the software world. We were just sold ourselves a couple of months ago, so we had a chance to utilize our own products, which is always a nice thing to do. That's amazing. Congratulations on the acquisition, I guess. Tell us a little bit more about that. How did that go? How has it been since that time? It really went very smoothly. We have a private equity investor that uh, wanted to enter the US market, enter the TMT space, technology and telecoms. And uh, because of the growth rates, the success we've had, the strength of the management team, the uh, healthy and strong brand decided to uh, to make that investment. And as I've been interviewing a lot of people over the last couple of months for various jobs, one of the things that always came up is concerns about changes to the private equity structure, to decision making. Is anyone going to get uh, going to get fired? Are there any changes coming up? None of which has in the case, it's been a very smooth transition. We've been very fortunate, good relation between the exec team and the new owners, which isn't always what you hear about in the media, but this is a very good fit between the, the P shop and the organization. That's great to hear. Yeah. I personally have been through a few acquisitions in my career, just as a part of a company that got acquired, that is. And I know from my own personal experience and talking with so many others, not only product marketers, but others who are just, you know, friends, colleagues, et cetera, that they've had mixed experiences. So, so it's always good to hear of great experiences. Indeed, there's quite often negative stories, but in this particular one, we've been quite fortunate. That is awesome to hear. So let's jump back just a little bit. You mentioned Datasite is your employer and you oversee product marketing and pricing. That seems like a really amazing combination. And product marketing is this really amazing function where you are leading go-to-market efforts, where you're driving positioning or shepherding positioning, maybe where you're doing all of these various activities, right? And for you at Datasite, you are also leading pricing. So how did that that kind of combination come to be? How did maybe you personally get into pricing? 
Yeah, so I think there's two parts to your question. One, personal background, and then sort of the situation at the data side. And I think there's an interesting story here as well. You know, personally for me, I've been touching on pricing 20, 25 years. Might be giving away my age here, but uh, pricing has been around for quite some time. My first exposure to it was actually with a through research project where I came across the very powerful Van Westendorp pricing research model. Basically, how much would you pay for it at the top end, at the bottom end, and then sort of mixing it up in terms of different pricing type of demands. And I was absolutely blown away from what it can do from a communications perspective and kind of really liked that as an element. And then I've always been more of a track in, in sort of marketing, product marketing, but because of my knowledge and how to do pricing and research methodology, I kept gravitating back into that. And now having done it for so many years, I added on working with Garber Granger, with joint analysis, which is sort of other popular pricing models. The other thing in the mix here is also, you can't really do pricing without really strong segmentation and segmentation is sort of one of those classical product marketing skills as well you know you can slice and dice your audience in many different ways only once you know what that is then you can ask people how much they're willing to pay for stuff i like doing qualitative research as well i like talking to prospects customers even more so prospects people that do not buy from me today because uh, those are the ones that you got to convert and again through that cycle you know you can't just go up and say hey do you like my ice cream how much like to pay for it you have to sort of go at it in a reasonably smooth way? How do you contrast the ice cream? How would you exchange it with other things? Would you think of ice cream like milk, like yogurt, like, I don't know, a day at the beach and, and sort of establishing a little bit the value points that they have. And then once you get there, you say, so how much is a day on the beach worth for you? Oh, it's 50 bucks. It's time saved or whatever it might be. So I, I find that entire aspect really fascinating. And then when I came to data site, it was an interesting situation. Usually pricing is either with a product or with sales or with finance. And I've got a bit of bit of a sort of philosophy on when it sits where with product tends to be uh, smaller companies or companies that are sort of in accelerated growth mode where the mono product, also single product, is kind of the only value, and I don't say that negatively, but the value that is yeah. provided here. And so it does make some sense for that to sit with product. It tends to sit with sales in a highly commoditized and or highly sophisticated environments. So if you are looking at classical consulting gigs where you're not selling sort of 100,000, but multi-millions, it does make a lot of sense that there's a really enabled deal desk that does a lot of the working. And it does sit in finance with margins. So again, you have a characteristic of probably a high degree of competitiveness, lots of alternatives out there, and then finance comes into play. Now, I'm in marketing, so um, I sit in the marketing function. Right. And at data site, pricing is very much driven by our CEO. So it's a bit of an unusual setup in that pricing is the data site, the interjection of strategy. That's where sales, product, and finance in many ways come together. There's also the entire operation aspect. And so the CEO with us is very much the driver from that. He also has a background from IBM, which has a very strong pricing discipline in the industry. And so he's probably seen a couple of different models. And the reason he's put it into marketing is to have a, not sure it's neutral, but to have an alternative voice to either product or sales, which allows to balance out those two 
to uh, those two aspects. The other thing on that also is, my personal opinion, it actually does make a lot of sense for pricing to sit in marketing, especially for companies that have digital sale as the main go-to-market vehicle. Who owns the website marketing? Who owns the experimentation on the website that allows you to work out ABC? A-B testing and gold, silver, bronze packaging. And from that perspective, it's, you know, when it comes to, to some of the tools that are available around A-B testing and so forth, it does make sense that as a way to, to squeeze some of those ice points. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's really interesting that you mentioned that. That's, I guess, just balancing function, right? Between product sales, operations, finance, product marketing does truly sit at the heart of a lot of those groups. Just me, myself, I was working on a project the other day where I was really at the intersection of most, if not all of those groups that we just mentioned. And we can really be at the heart of that. So maybe in your specific role or possibly somebody on your team, are you not only setting the pricing, but are you doing the financial modeling? Are you doing all of that stuff or, or are you primarily looking at the kind of competitive landscape and then figuring out how pricing should be set and then having kind of an operations function, figure out the kind of downstream impact pieces? Yeah, great question. So I think about pricing and having sort of five steps to it. And this is also with a view of more new product entry type of pricing as opposed to established mature environments. And so there is a research component where quantitative, qualitative stuff, we talked about some of the techniques and tools that exist out there. You then have a modeling phase. So to your point, you do have to model out just because you come up with a price point, you have to then multiply it by quantity. And obviously the higher the price, the less of the quantity to get the sort of revenue. And especially with um, new pricing, good luck going to the CEO and telling him, yeah, I'm going to change the price without being able to know what the impact is going to be on the revenue. So you have to really do that uh, that modeling. And that can be as complicated or simple as you want. Existing products, much more complex, new products. There are so many other unknowns that it's not as complex to, uh, to get going. Third phase would be the sort of system implementation phase. Just because you come up with a good price point, just because the CFO has given their thumbs up, doesn't mean that the systems can support everything. Bidding systems, configured price code systems are very sophisticated nowadays, but like with all systems, once you've built out a workflow, some logic behind it, it's not that easy to undo it and you have to sort of work with what you have in front of you. Fourth phase is really what I like to call change management. So this is, again, you've got to, you know, research is great, modeling is great, systems implemented. You still have to work with a sales force. And my perspective is a bit more B2B side, so direct, indirect sales force, whatever the channel is, but there has to be something in it for them. There are so many stories of companies launching a subscription product, rice price point, all model out, but they never thought about what's in it for sales. What are the incentives for sales? And as you know, with uh, subscription perpetual, there's always that awkwardness of, oh, you know, subscription deals worth a third of a perpetual deal, so how am I going to fill my pockets? But so change management is not just the what's in it for sales, it's also value points. So how do you explain on a client now that new packaging is out there? This is also where, to your point, competitiveness comes in. You could also say competitive at the research stage, and it does make some sense, but that is more a type of a cost plus model. That's the competitive price. Therefore, we are plus minus where the competitor needs to be. I believe more in value-based price. And so hence competitiveness comes a little bit towards the end when you go into negotiation cycles. 
And this is training sales, helping them, you know, contracting, that sort of stuff. And then fifth element in all this is optimization. All of the effort is about getting the stuff going. So internal convincing people, many rounds of socializing, many rounds of approvals required, which is all good and great. But hey, it's digital, it's pricing. You can flip it, change it within a couple of clicks to adjust where the latest and greatest needs to be. For that, you need to continuously optimize what you're doing. So as and when you have the initial sales data comes in, is it according to expectation? What's changed? Do you see more demand patterns here or there? Are there any particular segments, again, segmentation that respond more positive and negatively to certain type of pricing? And so that's kind of my five step phases on how to think about pricing. That was amazing. Thank you so much for walking through that, Axel. I think I just learned a ton and hopefully everyone listening to this did, did as well. I see lots of product marketing teams and, or maybe I should even just say product marketers who are interested in pricing, right? It's one of those things that maybe on the outskirts of their skill set or that they lightly touch, but they don't really own right now. Clearly you own it at Datasite, which is truly amazing and, and pretty awesome. And I know I'm envious and I'm sure many listening to this are fairly envious as well. But talk to us a little bit about what skills, what attributes should product marketers really be looking to develop or just lining up, you know, if this is something that they want to kind of bring into their own group as a leader of a product marketing team, how do I think about bringing pricing onto my team? Or maybe just as an individual, how do I think about getting that experience? Yeah, great question. And I think maybe I'm sort of adding to it to what I just went over the sort of phases. I think there's another element to it, which is how does pricing come to life? Or how is it sort of expressed? And there's probably uh, a couple of different areas. There's sort of the research skill set, you know, in the B2C world is sort of all that insight world and in terms of trade-offs, brand, price. You know, one of the Whenever people say, oh, what's the impact of brand and how is brand working or not working? Well, one of the measurements, there's only really two or three absolute measurements of brand impact is, are you able to charge command a premium for a price? And it doesn't have yeah. to be a premium. It can also be sort of less, you know, a parity, but basically working out, given the strength of your brand, what are you able to charge? So there's an entire research aspect to, to pricing. There's a deal that's component to pricing. And again, here, you know, some product marketers, uh, especially those that come from, from sort of a sales background, they really like that wheeling, dealing type of a thing. And they're ideal for, for the deal desk track or environment. And then there's also sort of the, some folks that quite like modeling and, and building out tools and technologies and have a heavy technical marketing element. They're also ideal for that sort of configure price quote environment where you can go into systems, build it out, where you also do need to understand all of it, you know, things like discount rules and how do you sustain your governance, which are all important things in, in pricing that you want to be on top of. But I think the maybe the most important skill that you need to have is curiosity. So curiosity around data, double click down, see if you can spot any trends, be it around segmentation, be it around certain activities, trends over time. I think that's probably the biggest attribute that uh, I'd, be, uh, I'd be looking for and also expressed via, if you don't like talking to customer, then you're sort of are more of an internal person. And I don't think pricing is quite for you. <laughs> I would argue if you don't like talking to customers, product marketing overall, it probably isn't right for you, right? I totally agree with you, Axel. It's funny how many product marketers come to me and have asked, you know, what the number one attribute that I think product marketers need to have. And time and time again, I feel like I've said, said curiosity. And I feel like you're the first who's maybe said it back to me, which is incredible. And I love hearing that. And, you know, and, the, and I was just going to say one, one of the more, more recent 
the ones that I've been hearing more and more in, in space is sort of empathy. And I'm sort of wrapping my head around, you know, how it's sort of is impermanent applied, but combined curiosity and empathy. And I think you have a very powerful combination here of a professional skill set. Yeah, I agree. And that market research is really what kicks that all off, right? It's that first step in truly understanding where the customer's at, what value that we provide. And hopefully as product marketer, even if you push pricing to the side just for a moment, hopefully as a product marketer, you understand that value, right? Or you're doing research to understand that value, or you're doing something to understand that value, right? But especially when it comes to pricing, you really need to deeply understand what that value that you're providing is yeah. because it just impacts so many of the levers that you can pull specifically when you are directing kind of pricing conversations. Yeah. I mean, look, if you're not willing to or interested in doing the research, then all you end up doing is sales support. You need to have the ability to guide sales also in terms of, you know, use these negotiation levers, these, you know, other facts and figures. Sales for, they're just trying to close deals. They're just trying to bring revenue in and it's a one-on-one conversation. They don't know that someone in a different region or a different product type has sort of different reaction. Up to you to bring that knowledge to them, to do that sort of sales knowledge transfer whether it's how to sell or how to price, how to negotiate. But if you come across something that's kind of a research piece, you know, you got to package it up and validate it and share it with the front ends. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it speaks to the broader trend in product marketing where I've seen number of product marketing teams. So I have a number of product marketing leaders that I talk to on a fairly regular basis just to say, hey, are you seeing this out in the market? I want to make sure it's just not me, right? Or what do you think of this challenge? And it's a group that I can bounce things off of and, and get feedback from and vice versa as well. And one thing that we talked about fairly recently is actually this pricing conversation and special specialization actually more broadly, which is product marketing teams are going down this path of specialization where there's a dedicated PMM, possibly for market research. When I was at HubSpot, there was actually a subgroup within product marketing that was dedicated to just market research. But in many groups, there's a dedicated PMM specifically for pricing. There's a dedicated PMM possibly for like analyst relations. There's dedicated PMM for maybe competitive intelligence, like all of these various things that may take up five or 10 or 15% of your time as a PMM now seem to be becoming at least dedicated functions within the product marketing team. Yeah, so I own competitive intelligence for the data side as well. So I'm quite familiar with the specialization. I've actually separated my own team into a product, product marketing side of the house and an audience marketing side. And they interact very well with one another. There are differences, there's there's some overlap. But yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know, marketing is a, in general, is a field that's moving from being amorphous to becoming a uh, scientific area. I think the pure ideas, creativity in marketing is, going to be less and less relevant just because of all the systems that are around the data you can pull in from left and right. And it's really becoming, you know, if you can't run stats and whatever, you're going to have a big problem in the wider marketing field. And then when it comes to product marketing, I think it very much depends a bit on company size. So if you're a little bit smaller, you're not going to have the luxury of sort of having all of these different areas. And, you know, I'm, I'm doing a lot of mentoring. I remember depending on who I mentor, depending on the circumstance where some of them come to me and say, hey, how do I specialize in this or in that? And, you know, trying to think through a career path for them. And one of the obvious things is if you do want to specialize somewhere, then you probably need to be in a somewhat bigger company because smaller companies are just not going to have the luxury of doing it. Something else, which is also on my radar screen, becoming more and more gravitating towards product marketing, sort of customer marketing. Where you have in the very much of a post SOW, post sale environment, 
who is marketing to existing clients. Quite often it's going to be things about how you can use the product better, the customer success areas as well, but they usually have a slightly different angle on it. And so that also again falls a little bit into the laps of product marketing. I've seen also people with resumes that said, you know, in-house SEO expert, I hope found myself scratch bed going for a second. You also think all the digital stuff and the content, what have you. But again, it makes sense if you are a uh, highly focused vertical uh, or horizontal play, but highly focused, where the match between the product and the client is so tightly knit and it's all about digital that, yeah, you're going to be on top of the SEO game. Long tail, short tail, everything in between, identifying keywords, you know, that work. And so I think the, if anyone wanted to have a career in the space, it's all about start as a generalist. And I even go a step further, start as a generalist in the inside sales, BDR, telesales environment, because it is maybe one of the broadest entry levels that you can have to anything. And you will learn very, I mean, HubSpot, you know all about it. You'll learn everything about what it takes to, to do inbound, to do outbound. And then you can choose, you know, especially if you are sort of outbound, like outbound, you can easily gravitate towards sales and do more sort of the hunting. If you like that sort of inbound, that's obviously a career track towards the marketing side. If you gravitate more towards, you know, product, 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 yeah, maybe you should consider product marketing. If it is sort of systems, because again, there's tons of really nice systems out there. You can probably read some of them operations, marketing operations, but yeah, and then either way, whatever you choose, specialization paths offer themselves all the time. For sure. Yeah. And especially as a lot of product marketers get more senior, grow in their career, consider what they want those next steps to be. I think that's really smart advice. And specialization is not going away as product. My view on it, at least, is as product marketing continues to seek out how to provide bottom line impact for the business overall, the specialization will will just continue to increase and just develop further. I fully concur with you. And I think maybe one of the things that younger product marketers should consider is possibly to find a way that they can have a sort of rotation path, whereas you do maybe I don't know, six months or whatever the time frame is in sort of a content development, collateral website for six months or so in sort of that voice of customer. You know, I think of competitive analysis also very much as voice of customer insight, which also comes together with pricing in certain areas. And then sort of, you know, looking at if you're more interested in the reporting side of things and sort of OKRs, you know, there's also the options of working in the operation side, and then you can pick over time. It's so difficult nowadays for people starting off their careers in a certain field. And like, there's so many things to think about. And, you know, 25 straight out of college-ish, you may have done a gig or two, and, oh, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, it's so difficult to wind up. I mean, every, virtually every product marketer I talk to, myself included, by the way, in that is that like their path to product marketing has been really complex complex, you know, just my own path for a quick second here. Like I went product manager, startup founder, then product marketer, and it was quite the path. And it actually gave me a really good insight into the broader operations and broader functioning of a business. And so I feel fortunate, but everyone's path is just so different nowadays. And yeah, I mean, if I was starting my career all over again right now, I would have a hard time kind of picking product marketing from the get-go. And if I can just ask, how did you go from product management or product marketing? Well, actually, better question. How do you see the differences nowadays between product management and product marketing? It's a fantastic question. And I think product marketing is starting to make more of an impact. So in my role here at Iterable today, product marketing is making more of an impact on the broader business, the direction of the product roadmap. We're providing consistent like voice of customer feedback to the product team and delivering them insight into where the market is headed. We're providing them direct intelligence about what kind of competitors 
customers in this space are doing. We're providing intelligence on what customers are saying, such as you know different trends across the business, data across the business, like closed one or lost rates, like things of that nature. And so as I see product management and product marketing, product management, I think is an incredible function. And they're spending, I think, a lot more time prioritizing and thinking about the experience directly within the product. I see a lot of product managers truly caring about the actual experience within the product because a lot of companies are moving toward this motion that's been coined product-led growth, right? And I think that's forced a lot of PMs who are in a seat at a company like that to think more holistically about, I'm not just building this feature, but how will this feature or this entire experience be used more holistically? And I think the product marketer is thinking about the layer above that and all encompassing that for that matter too. Like how are we driving people to that experience and through that experience, what happens after they get through that experience, all of that type of stuff. And it's not just product-led growth. Everyone's talking about product-led growth at the moment. But my point being, I think that's a good kind of framework, at least to think about that separation right now. Yeah. And so one thing that you just touched on for me was also the notion of as you move from a single product company to a portfolio offering, things start getting a bit trickier. The product manager is usually focused on one product. And, you know, the alternative to product marketing that's advocated by a serious decision, they don't call it product marketing, they call it portfolio marketing. And uh, part of the reason is because it's not just about the product, it could be the service, it could be the technology. So you always have to sort of communicate a broader responsibility set, hence the portfolio. And and so that distinction becomes very clear as you go from between management and marketing, as you go from a single product company to a multi-product company. For sure. Yeah, I totally agree. And as here at Iterable, like the, the product team has, even in the roughly the year I've been here, the product team has been scaling tremendously. In my roughly six years at, at HubSpot, the product team grew just an incredible amount. And it was incredible to see how they kind of structured themselves and how they grew. I think it was an interesting example of how a company turned into almost this product-led growth motion where product managers owned that experience where they were not only building the features and functionality, but they were thinking about and evangelizing for how do we actually drive users to you know add this product onto that subscription? Or how do we send users between these two products? Like things of that nature. And that's an interesting, I think, evolution of product management, but product marketing also plays a key function in that too. Like how do we actually drive and measure that? How are we kind of pouring fuel on the fire there? Agreed. Yeah, and so you mentioned also the big word, product-led growth. I think there's tons of things happening in that particular space. You know, if I can sort of bring in pricing and what have you into that discussion as well. And what's been really interesting for me to see is as you have sort of product-led growth direction, the, you know, what I was talking about earlier with optimization becomes an even more natural and ongoing stream because you continuously have usage data, i.e. value data, which is also information you can give back to the consumer. And I think for pricing, it has the potential of, in many ways, back to the future. It's all about pay a platform fee and then pay usage fees. Platform, you buy into the brand proposition. Yeah, it's, I think it's especially brand proposition, not as much feature functionality. The feature functionality game then comes into the usage element. And that's sort of one thing where it gets really exciting that some companies that have a clear brand proposition can then benefit from their brand efforts via the sort of product and growth model where platform components and then feature usage variables components, which I think is an exciting direction that the industry is heading towards as well. 
Yeah, I totally agree. And the product like growth motion is truly kind of fascinating. And it's fascinating too, because as we think about the evolution of software in general and going back even a little bit further, thinking about how this kind of land and expand strategy of like the consumerization of enterprise software and how that's kind of turned into product-led growth to a large extent, at least in my view, I think it's been fascinating to even think a little bit further into the future and what the kind of next evolution of product-led growth will be and how product marketing plays a role. And the more I do think about that, the more I just foresee product marketers playing a central function there, which is obviously exciting as product marketers probably listening to this and and for you and I, right? But it also, I think, pays some credence to what you were mentioning that, you know, there has been a tightening relationship between product marketing and customer marketing. And one thing that I've personally noticed, I mentioned this as I was talking with another guest a week or two ago, that there's been a tightening relationship, I think at least between product marketing and brand marketing as well. And I actually foresee product marketing potentially taking over brand marketing at some point, or maybe just those functions merging. But it really is this interesting time to be in product marketing where there's a lot of these trends starting to come together and starting to truly take shape. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you on the brand and product relationship. You know, quite often the hierarchy is sort of brand, product, customer, right? In terms of the sort of from, from, from big to small, but the distinction between, and again, if you're only a single product company, then, you know, the brand is the product, the product is the brand. Exactly. <laughs> to the extent where even the interface is the brand, right? You pick the colors, not so much for the brand, but you pick the colors that work for the interface. And, you know, when you do user experience research, guess what? Grayish, bluish type of colors are the ones that are most prevalent. Hence, the vast majority of products use those as background colors, including the white background. But few go for the offensive colors of red, orange, yellow, those sort of warning colors. And as you have that sort of user experience equals product, product equals external brand, you have these things coming up. And, you know, I've been I don't know, paying a bit more attention to what some of the big tech companies are doing when it comes to their own brand advertising. And I don't know, like Citrix, Oracle, and all those little names down on the bus. But I look at it going, I kind of know what you guys do. But then when I look at how you market it, what does this mean? Like, what, what, totally, what, yeah. <laughs> what exactly do you do? Like, you know, Oracle sort of ERP, CR, and that sort of stuff. Like, and now you talk about, you know, this vagueness of God knows what, which I always find quite amusing. Yeah, you're entirely right. Especially when companies become multi-product companies, you know, it just, it becomes very confusing and there's almost a lack of clarity, I guess, from, I guess, the brand side at that size for product marketing. But it is interesting, like with folks like, you know, Jaws taking the helm, Jaws obviously was a, maybe I shouldn't say obviously, but Jaws was a former product marketer at Apple. And now he's the head of overall marketing at Apple, or I think they call it worldwide marketing at Apple. And so Apple is probably the example that everyone uses, right? But, and Apple is very product centric, but I think we'll see more of that into the future with product marketers kind of taking the helm or at least looking to make that jump between product marketing and kind of core marketing as well. I agree. It will be interesting to see how many people will migrate into the broader marketing sphere. For sure. So Axel, it's been awesome talking to you. And as we start to wrap this up, there's been some cornerstone books in product marketing, right? We all know the names of them. We've probably all read them, but curious if there's been any books or podcasts that you've listened to recently that have really had an impact on you or possibly your work. You know, I try to not so much look in the strictest marketing domain where I have a fair amount of knowledge, certainly in, in product marketing domain, I try to look a little bit outside of sort of my own domain. And so there is a, and, and also upwards, you know, what do more senior people, more experienced people, different levels of experience will have to say. There is a, a podcast by Drew Nyson. I think it's called CMO Renegades or Renegade CMO, which has interesting stories about very sort of talking, you know, how do you address these sort of challenges? And at a certain level, it's not about 
do A versus B, but it's more sort of the cultural landscape, pros and cons. And I find that always very insightful. And since we talked a little bit about pricing, one lesser well-known company that I follow, which I think has a couple of really smart people working there is Ibaka. I actually don't know whether you'll pronounce it correctly. That's I-double-B-A-K-A. And they, not so much podcasts, but they come up with some really good pricing research, webinars more, and a couple of other things to follow on. And to me, that's sort of a, a bit of a North Star because it challenges the notion of what pricing is. And they nicely incorporate but also that sort of, you know, standard where you should be at and, and where you can go have some flexibility. They've done some really good work around segmentation. Again, pricing equals segmentation, which is a vital skill to uh, to have. And then beyond that, you know, TED Talks are always good. Pick the right ones. You always learn something new or different. I love documentaries. So I always get that sort of macroeconomic insights. I think for uh, the brand building experiences, you also need to stretch yourself to see what else is out there. And to me, nowadays, it's all about three-dimensional experiences virtual reality type of stuff and a lot of gaming companies have some really cool things that they're doing so i've got sometimes i see what they're talking about webinars that they have and podcasts that they publish so yeah of course yeah and those are some amazing recommendations learning something new myself as well so i appreciate it axel thank you so much for taking the time to be with us if you have any final words that you want to share with the audience feel free but thank you again so much for your time here Thanks, Jeffrey. If somebody wants to get in touch, my LinkedIn is whatever the LinkedIn hashtag thing is, and then A-X-L-K-I. That's where you can find me for people should be a note. Perfect. Thanks, Axel. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope that you found it really helpful to your role in product marketing and to your thoughts around pricing as a product marketer. Join us next episode for my conversation with Becky Trevino from Snow Software as we talk about how product marketing and product management can best work together. With Clue, you can build and deliver battle cards to help sales close more deals. Stay on top of your competitor's strategies and measure your competitive program's impact to the bottom line. Don't just compete, compete to win.